G'day, and welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Key areas of focus are industry analysis with key stakeholders, policy makers, engagement with farmers and producers, and working to close the rural-urban divide. Farmers work hard. They love the land and are a critical part of New Zealand's fabric. There are many things for farmers to think about, whether it be drought, market conditions and farm gate returns, and increased pressure from the public or policy makers. Working with Postquake Farming, we are taking a look at what farmers are doing to improve their businesses, their biodiversity, their land use and their well-being. Earlier this year, Factor Magri looked at the benefits of forestry on Canterbury High Country properties in turning marginal and erosion-prone land into revenue-generating opportunities through exotic forests which are included in the emissions trading scheme and of course milling for timber. I also discussed the great work being done by farmers who are increasing their biodiversity and the potential for native forests to be included in the emissions trading scheme. We have to be careful farming carbon. There must be, in my view, a limit on the use of forestry offsets. If we don't, then more productive land will be converted for the sole purpose of carbon credits or carbon farming, of which fossil fuel emitters can offset their own pollution. This is simply planting pollution on farms. Large-scale exotic farming will not address climate change. It allows fossil fuel emitters to pass the responsibility onto the pastoral industry. This concern has also been shared by the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, which last year recommended halting the use of forestry to offset fossil fuel emissions. We also need to consider the economic and social impact this kind of transformation has on rural communities. Research by Baker Ag in 2019 found forestry supports far fewer jobs than the red meat sector, particularly in the regions. And communities on the east coast of the North Island are already seeing a decline in residents, jobs have been lost, shops and banks have packed their bags, and schools are either closing or on life support. When you look at the numbers for carbon farming, for every $300,000 sheep and beef farms spend in their local community, the equivalent in forestry spends less than $30,000. People need to understand that simply planting a tree does not necessarily result in environmental improvement. Sheep and beef farmers have reduced their industry's greenhouse gas emissions by 30% since the 90s and have worked hard and at great cost to protect and restore native habitats on their farms to nearly 3 million hectares, which is the second largest holding of native forest and native biodiversity in the country. A biodiversity credit is relevant and should be part of our policymakers plan. The red meat sector employs north of 90,000 people. The regions can't keep taking kicks to the stomach. Our economy is relying on these very people and the export products they produce to drag us out of the COVID-19 crisis. This week on Factor Magri, we are continuing to look at the opportunity agritourism presents. I'm talking with farmer Dan Shand, who farms north of Christchurch in the North Canterbury High Country. Dan also has diversified and developed a tourism business on his farm. I'm also talking with Graham Abbott from Visit Hurunui to get his views on agritourism and check in to see how the region is faring post-lockdown. Firstly, I will check in with Graham. Hello, Graham. Thank you for talking with me today. Pleasure to be, it's a pleasure to be with you. Did you come through lockdown okay? Um, yeah, pretty well. Um, 
personally, on a personal basis, lockdown wasn't too bad for me because I, I worked two days a week from home, so I'd had a little bit of practice and was already set up for that. Um, we got into a routine as our family here of uh, a work, and then at the end of the day, we uh, got on a spin bike and did a few things like that to give ourselves a bit of balance. So yeah, we got through pretty well, I think. Good. Can you please tell me a bit about the work that you do? Um, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate. I've got uh, two parts to my role, if you like. My uh, the biggest part of my role is to uh, is is that of general manager of the Hadmer Springs Thermal Pools and Spa. So, it's uh, all about managing that uh, wonderful piece of business. And the other two days, uh, I work as the um, tourism development manager for the Huronui Tourism Board, which is uh, driven by the Huronui District Council. So, quite a nice mix of of running a business and uh, working towards developing other products across the Huronui. How's the region faring in terms of tourism due to COVID-19? Oh, there's, there's two answers to that. Like the rest of the country during lockdown, uh, things were pretty tough. And as we have popped out the other side of it, different parts of the region are faring at different levels. Like Cheviot's doing it pretty tough in terms of its tourism off- offerings, if you like. We're getting mixed reactions out of the wine region. Some people are doing quite well. There's, there's not a lot of the vineyards open this time of the year normally, but uh, so a bit of a mixed reaction in there as to how things are doing. But Hanma's actually doing quite well. So Hanma Springs itself has had a pretty good last six weeks um, since you know the, the levels were were lowered, if you like, to level two and then to level one. And so Queen's birthday in particular was a very busy time for Hanma Springs. In fact, uh, at similar levels to, um, or in fact, possibly higher levels than what it was the same time last year. So you're looking to New Zealand's urban centres to drive domestic visitors? Oh, absolutely. Um, from a Hanma Springs perspective, uh, we are a domestic product. So 80% of our customers come from New Zealand, uh, with the vast majority of those out of Christchurch. So our work with the Christchurch market will continue. Uh, we'll continue to market to them as our biggest part of our our business, if you like, and and I've got to say they've come back to us in their droves, and it's been wonderful to be to be there and to seeing the Christchurch people come back and support us. So, in a logical flow on, if you like, uh, as people get used to travelling further, our next markets will be Nelson, which is a, traditionally another good market for us, and Dunedin will start targeting those areas in the next little while, and then the focus will then turn to Wellington and Auckland, obviously will continue to stimulate our Christchurch market. But Wellington and Auckland, as we target those, because we see the North Islanders doing some, you know, the, the iconic South Island road trip for summer. So we're going to be encouraging them to, uh, to to come down and see us as well as part of a bigger program with, you know, neighbours Kaikoura and, and Christchurch. So, yeah, that's those are the regions we're going to be driving in. Have you got some visitor numbers that came through Hanma in May this year? compared with the previous year and have you any revenue spend comparisons uh, no, the revenue spend comparisons aren't out as yet uh, for for the year before. But but anecdotally, um, if, if I just focus on Hanma Springs, we, as soon as it went to level two of the lockdown, things did lift up. Uh, you know, compared to where they were, obviously, um, nowhere near to the same level as last year. But Queen's birthday was certainly as big as last year, and June has has got us being pretty much the same as last year. So we've bounced back pretty well. And what about Kaikoura? How are they getting on? I, again, I haven't got any hard data there, but just talking to our friends across there, um, it's been pretty tough across there. Um, whereas we were fortunate to get a, a really good lift in Queen's Birthday. Unfortunately for them, they got a lift, but certainly not the same. And, and I understand they've been pretty quiet in the last couple of weekends. So, uh, But I do know that um, Whale Watch is going to be opening in time for the 
uh, school holidays. Um, and so that will signify quite a strong um, intent to, for, for customers to go there. And so, yeah, hopefully they will, they will pick up and, and, and start moving in a positive manner. Do you think the government got the COVID-19 response right? Um, Angus, yes, I do. Um, there's always things that they could do better. Um, but if I look at the if I look at the big picture, to date we've had the, we've had the COVID shutdown, and yes, there's been um, some some financial hardship out of that, and that will continue. Um, but there's also been quite a lot of a large amount of government support that's been put into our industry and and other industries. So I think on on a on a number of cases they've got it right. Um, yes, there's some of the details around the fringes you could argue one way or the other, but. Uh, and, and yes, there are a lot of businesses that are still struggling, struggling. But the other point that seems to get lost in all of this, Angus, is the fact that the early predictions were that if COVID got hold, got hold, then our health centre wouldn't have coped. Um, and that would have meant that, you know, we could have had a fairly substantial death rate. And we very quickly forget that, as we're seeing other countries with alarming, what I'd call alarming death rates. We escaped that to a large degree. Now, don't get me wrong, there were some people that lost their lives, and that's very sad. But they were talking about potentially thousands of people losing their lives and that would have had an impact that I don't know that any of us can actually comprehend. So to answer your question, yep, I, I think they have got it right. I, uh, the next few weeks will be interesting to see what happens as we go through this uh, quarantining phase, if you like, but hopefully they've got everything in, in, in context now. Farming is New Zealand's biggest land use, so it makes sense that agritourism plays a part in New Zealand's overall tourism industry. Do you see the potential for growth in agritourism? Oh, absolutely. Um, fundamentally, agri-tourism agri ticks a lot of boxes in, in the tourism industry, if you like. You know, the landscape, for example, which is what New Zealand tourism has been built on for many, many years, is in some of the most beautiful parts of our country. And some of the vistas that, are, that happen in, in agri-tourism are, are unbelievable. Like, um, you know, there, there was an article on the television the other night of the Kellys with their business in, in Waia. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be there a, a couple of months ago. Just driving into their house, um, you'd pay money for the views um, <laughs> that are across their farm. So if we look at the, the basic parts of tourism, the landscape um, and, and the vistas are fantastic. What happens in an agri-tourism opportunity is it's a real experience. And we've been finding in the last number of years that more and more customers are wanting a real experience, are wanting to see what really makes uh, an area tick and, and, and what's important to people. Typically, farmers are welcoming, friendly people. So we talk in the tourism industry about how important our welcome is and how important it is for international visitors in particular, and even our New Zealanders to interact with warm, friendly people. Well, again, that's another that's another um, box that's ticked. It can be, in some cases, a very hands-on experience. Um, I, I was lucky enough to do a, uh, a farm tour last year, and to um, and, and bear in mind, I'm a, I'm a New Zealander, so I've seen uh, sheepdogs uh, bringing in, in sheep. But to watch other people see that happen, and for them to be able to touch a sheep and pat a dog, was was quite amazing. So that hands-on experience, from a tourism perspective, is um, is very important. So, so there's a whole lot of things, and last but certainly not least, and whilst it might be contentious, you know, it fits the whole clean green image that New Zealand's profiled on, and 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 that's what our farms do look like. And so, yeah, it, it just makes it makes a lot of sense to me in a lot of cases. So, you think it's important for farmers to diversify and include tourism in their businesses, both from an economic perspective and an environmental one? 
Angus, I think that's a really interesting question. I think that the farmers need to make sure that, that farm tourism for them or agritourism for them is one of two things. It's either a hobby, that they're happy for it to be a hobby and recognise it as that, or it's economically viable, um, or a combination of those two. But they need to understand what it's going to be because you know, I've, I've heard stories and I've seen examples where where people are opening their, their farms to, to people and opening their experiences for, for for not much money. And we've got to be careful to make sure that as, as these businesses evolve, they are, they are economically viable. Otherwise, further down the track, the, the, there's the potential for the farmers to resent what they're having to do. And so it's got to be well thought through. It's got to be economically sound. Or they've got to say, yep, I quite like having these tourists on the place. I'm not going to make money out of it, but as a change to my lifestyle, I'm happy to have that. Um, but either way, they need to make a commitment to how it works. Um, mm. So is it important for them to diversify into tourism? Only if it has the ability to make them money or they want to see it as a as a hobby. Some talk about the rural-urban divide. Do you think agritourism has a potential to not only support businesses, but potentially improve the perception of farmers from an urban perspective? Oh, I, I, th I think absolutely, and I, and I think in the first instance, you know, let's not forget that the bulk of urban New Zealand do support rural rural activities and 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 agriculture. Um, but the chance for them to actually see what happens and and how a farm operates and and the hardships that, that there is in farming and and how the farmers do toil and and, and to get it real will give a far better perception of farming. I mean, I've been fortunate; a lot of my life has been around farming. And so I, so I know how it works, but a lot of people don't appreciate just what goes into to running a farm and the way it is. So I think, yes, it does have the chance to, to change those and also to get people you know, up front and talking to farmers and, and, and understanding how they work. So yes, I, I think it clearly has that opportunity. The future might look a little uncertain right this minute due to COVID-19, but how does the future look? Naturally, there has to be businesses closing for the ones that can survive and the new businesses that will inevitably emerge, what shape will tourism take? Um, yes, look, I agree that the, the next the next couple of years look pretty tough. And, and dare I say what's happened in, um, in Australia in the last sort of 48 hours is not making that Trans-Tasman bubble look any closer at the moment, unfortunately. The tourism industry is uh, spending, and the government are, are spending quite a bit of time and money in the, in the next little period of time about reimagining um, how tourism looks. And part of that is is looking at more sustainable, lower footprint types of types of tourism. Um, and I think we're going to see quite a bit of change. You know, there's been been a lot of talk uh, for some time about regional dispersal of tourism, so that we're not seeing everything happen in Auckland, Rotorua, and Queenstown. And if I'm critical about that, Angus, that's been talk, um, and there hasn't been a lot done about that. And I think we will. We, well, I hope that we will see in the next little while as part of this reimagining tourism, um, an encouragement to get investment into um, uh, the Docker state in other areas so that we're moving people into um, in, into further areas. Like, like for example, the, um, the Molesworth station represents a huge opportunity um, to get people into a piece of New Zealand that is untouched, that's unspoiled, and that is actually spectacular. So I think there's the opportunity for uh, areas to, um, in a sustainable manner, to to be in that international market. Um, I think that that plays right into the hands of agritourism and and people who can encourage people to come and interact with them, to stay, to, to spend time on the land. So I'm I'm quite excited about what 
what that um, means, particularly if we look at our part of the, our little part of the world, the Hiranui, where there are a number of opportunities, I think, for for tourism to be reimagined and to to be a a, a new a new era of tourism. You talk about the high value tourist, and when you consider something like Molesworth, do we want thousands of camper vans driving through Molesworth? No, but no, uh, we, we don't want thousands of camper vans, and that's part of reimagining it. You know, we, we need to, the country needs to get its head around um, the impact of, of certain sectors. Um, personally, I actually favour camper van tourism, but you need to look at the, there needs to be a study done under that as to how it's managed and where that is. But if it's controlled through, um, you know, tourist operators who are who are taking groups through, and that perhaps there's some accommodation out there. There's um, some walk. There is some work that went on some time ago between ourselves and Kaikoura about having a great walk that comes through that area. Again, mm. low impact, but again, build the infrastructures that can pe- people can stay two, three, or four nights out enjoying the wilderness. Um, yeah, you know, what is the opportunity for night sky tourism and all of those things to happen out there? Again, very low impact. Not lots of. Not, not lots of camper vans, um, but managed in a, in a concessionaire way. What's your view on a tourist tax or a bed tax? Um, I've always wondered why a, a bed tax uh, wouldn't work. Um, I, I think it's got bogged down, if you like, because the uh, the accommodation lobby's pretty hard at pushing back. Mm-hmm. Um, we need more money to make the infrastructure work because we can't get to the positions I've talked about without some investment from government. And that's got to be funded somewhere. And certainly if we look now, uh, all the more reason to have a bed tax going in the future because um, w- the, the government in the next 10 years is going to be busy paying back um, the money that they've had to spend in this last, uh, last 12 weeks. Thank you very much for your time today, Graham. Factum Agri will return after this. Welcome back to Factum Agri. I'm talking with Dan Shand. Hello, Dan. Thank you for your time today. No worries. Uh, thanks for having us. Can you tell me a bit about your farm, where you are located and what you farm? Yeah, so um, we farm at Island Hill Station. Uh, it's 30 minutes inland of Colverton um, in the Mandamus Valley. Uh, we back onto Lake Sumner Forest Park at the back and uh, we have um, 1,300 landmark ewes, land court ewes and 150 Angus cows. Yeah, so we, and we also have some beehives on the farm as well. I understand you have developed tourism on the farm as well. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, well, um, Mandy and I uh, actually developed uh, what was the Hiranui High Country Track, a uh, three-night walk uh, back in 2004. Uh, we ran that for 10 years uh, before we closed in 2014, uh, basically to focus on the honey business. Uh, but we just continued to do sort of accommodation and some recreational activities. Um, however, Sean Monk, um, a well-known outdoors sort of guy, um, uh, approached us after coming up a few times and exploring the back blocks. He pretty much fell in love with the place, so um, we teamed up with him to reopen a new and improved Island Hills walking track uh, for October 2020. How has COVID-19 affected the tourism business? Well, uh, yeah, it's affected quite a few things, but... Um, with the tourism, uh, Sean sort of he'd leveraged his social media following following to provide sort of guided uh, day bush conservation hunting trips. Uh, he was fully booked out for March and April uh, with a mixture of sort of domestic and international tourists. Uh, however, after his first customer from Argentina came uh, in March, he had travel restrictions meant that he ceased operation. 
So um, over lockdown, he sort of helped out on the farm. And during that time, we sort of discussed how we could focus more on the domestic market. Um, so he then decided that opening the walking track, which which we knew was was uh, sort of 99% Kiwis uh, with a self-guided walk, um, suited the Kiwi market. So we thought that was a good option. Um, he made the most of it and he's added a heap of new tracks and um, places of the of the farm that I sort of I've only ever been to when I'm working and, and they're they're pretty stunning. So that's how islandhillstation.co.nz was started. Adding tourism to your farming business obviously provides another income stream and spreads your risk profile. Was that the main driver in developing a tourism business or perhaps something else? Well, really early on uh, for Mandy and I it was necessity. Uh, we didn't have enough money even to fully stock the place when we arrived back. And um, although it's 7,000 hectares, it was only, you know, capable of running, you know, just over 3,000 stock units. So, uh, you know, it had a lot of very na- natural regenerating bush and, and uh, you know, it's an amazing place to be. So tourism, venture and honey were, were natural options for us to go to. What do tourists get out of your tourism offering? Is it simply just another experience on the land or are people coming away with a deeper understanding of farm life and a connection with the food produced off the land? Oh, that's an interesting question though. But uh, yeah, all, yeah, although we've got the we've got a really large um, QE2 protected area, so it's pretty much the largest in Canterbury, it's over 600 hectares. Uh, and you know, we've got diverse landscapes. It's actually probably more focused on the people and the high country culture. Uh, farming in the high country sort of as people know has been a bit of a challenge uh, but we're really proud of the fact that we're fourth generation here and um, yeah each group you know really we want them to feel a part of that history and uh, see what we do from day to day uh, you know it's, it's actually quite amazing we get farmers you know and people from the city and they both go away thinking that they've had a pretty amazing experience so that's that's a buzz for us. I ask this question a lot, Dan. Do you think there's a disconnect between urban populations and rural communities? Mm, well, uh, yeah, I guess there is, but both ways there's a disconnect. There's, this is not just, it's not just urban, but rural people are somewhat disconnected as well. Uh, you know, the, the people that come and walk the track and, and see us are, are our customers for the food we produce. Uh, so their outlook is really important to what we do. So, yeah, that's why it's probably really important to have Kiwis out doing experiences like this and sort of seeing how we actually live and, and, and see you know, the amazing stuff that we're actually trying to do to, to get the environment cranking and, and biodiversity and stuff. I mean, the, the tuis that we've had around our house and out the back over the last sort of two months is, is just amazing and you can't help but stop and, and take the time to listen and look for them. So it's been really cool. What does the future look like for agritourism moving forward? Well, I've, I've sort of looked at this for quite a while. Um, I think that both domestically and internationally, there's a real opportunity because uh, it's sort of about having the real Kiwi experience and the experience um, of, of our life. Uh, you know, because too often people try and change what they're doing to cater for tourists, but in fact, that they actually just want to experience what we're already doing. Uh, we, we don't want to make it into something that's not. And, you know, often when you go overseas traveling, it's actually the experiences with people and the culture 
uh, on a local level that, that are the real standouts and it's no different in New Zealand. Have you got confidence in the current direction of policy facing farmers today and specifically around the national policy statement for fresh water and the ETS? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, this is... This has been, well, was probably right at the heart of where I used to spend a lot of time. Um, I've worked hard to be part of this process and I sat on the Hiranui Wai Zone Committee. I helped, helped establish the local Lanky group, so I had quite a bit to do with it. Uh, but I sort of felt that a lot of the work that we did wasn't listened to when the policies were developed. So um, I've now largely stepped back and started to make real progress on the ground. So. We now have the best bird life, best biodiversity we've ever seen, and the mandamus is always testing extremely high for water quality. So uh, I actually get a lot more out of doing stuff where I can see real results. So um, really a bit like all the rules, they're predominantly based on grandparenting, which sort of punishes the people that are doing the right thing. So it's uh, probably, I don't know if that's what people want to hear, but that's sort of the reality of it. So what specifically are you doing on the ground? Oh, so you know we've we've been working with QE2 and and um, and Sean he sort of had a had, had his own wee thing called NZ Wild Things, and he does a lot of pest control. So conservation sort of right at the heart of what he's sort of about. He um, loves uh, you know trapping and and uh, we do a lot of rats, ferrets, uh, weasels, stoats, um, and possums, mm. and um, and you know so that just actually getting out there and doing it and uh, we've also done a bit with the wasps and um, yeah that, that, you know, it's mainly around getting rid of the pests and uh, being able to get the bird life back. Thank you very much for chatting with me today Dan. No problem, thank you for having us. Thank you to my guests today Graham Abbott and Dan Shand. It is great to hear that Hanma is trading well and being supported by Christchurch visitors in particular. For agritourism businesses around the country that are predominantly domestic driven, they may have a good opportunity to maintain their current business activity and in some cases see an increase with our borders being closed and Kiwis looking for places to go. The question is, will that actually eventuate in the short term? With restricted means of travel, the loss of jobs across the country, businesses closing and a downturn in New Zealand's economy due to COVID-19. Time will only tell. For agritourism businesses that rely on international visitors, this is indeed a tough time. Part of the reason for engaging in tourism for farmers is diversity and developing new income streams. Whilst their tourism businesses might be struggling now, they are still the driving force in the economy through their farming practices. New Zealanders who can should seek these agritourism businesses out Give Dan a call at Hiranui High Country Track. His property is in a truly breathtaking part of the world and is open for business. Agritourism ticks a lot of boxes in the tourism industry. Our landscape alone is world class. It is a real experience and a hands-on experience. Our farmers are typically welcoming and warm people, which fits the overall image and message we want to send to the world. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.